This morning, I want to pick up where I was going to teach last week, and, and we didn't get there. Um, how many of you enjoyed uh, the Crabtree family last week? And that was a blessing to have them with us. And um, so we're looking forward. we got a lot of guest uh, speakers coming in next year. And so be sure to check out your bulletin as those things roll around. Our first uh, guests are coming in January. I'll just give a little promo for this. It's uh, Joe and Becky Cruz are absolutely incredible worship uh, and ministers and pastors. And uh, you, you may be familiar with the Cruises. If anyone here is familiar with uh, Joel Osteen's church, their sister leads worship for Joel Osteen. And so um, she's kind of well-known, but that's the family. That's the caliber of worship and ministry that they carry, and they are spirit-filled to the max. I mean, he opens his mouth, and it's heaven comes in the room. I mean, he is incredible. And so they're going to be with us ministering. They're going to do a Sunday morning service in January, and then they're going to do a, a Sunday night service as well, and a Saturday training for anyone who feels called to worship or, or music ministry of any sort. They're going to be doing training for that as well. So it's going to be an incredible weekend, so be checking, be looking for that. But uh, this morning, I want to teach on surviving change. We've been talking about uh, the series of breaking and living free. And how many of you know change, as the familiar saying goes, change is the only thing that never changes. It's always with us. And uh, it can be difficult as you go through transition. The church here has gone through transition. And uh, you could probably relate a little bit of what I'm going to be sharing to that transition. But all of us go through change and change and transition in our personal lives as well, whether it's a career change, family changes, financial changes, you all know what I'm talking about. So everyone in this morning can get something from the Word of God this morning. God has something for you this morning as it relates to surviving change. You might be able to relate with Dr. Seuss. I love this quote from Dr. Seuss, and yes, my child, this side is probably going to come out here, but how did it get so late so soon, Dr. Seuss says? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Have you ever felt that way? I was uh, this week, this weekend, I was back in New Orleans uh, doing a wedding for someone, and uh, we were talking about kids, and one of our leaders from New Orleans, uh, their son has grown up so incredibly fast, and we were talking about how fast time flies, and you might feel that way this morning. Um, I'm looking at Zoe this morning and thinking, man, she's grown uh, two inches since I've been gone. So time does, time, time does fly, and it's all around us. There's usually three different responses to change, and uh, the first one of those responses, if I can get my notes to work with me here and cooperate, is the conservative uh, response, and we'll put some of these up on the screen. You might find yourself in one of these three categories. The conservatives are the disciplined and organized folks. They prefer change that maintains the current structure. Uh, in terms of a tree, they would be probably the folks that are the roots. They're detail-oriented and more concerned about all of the details and the, and the predictability. Uh, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're a pragmatic person. Uh, you don't mind change as long as it produces your results. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind going through change as long as I'm in charge, and it, and it has the result that I want. Um, these folks are usually the realist people. They want to, um, they're going to go through change, and they're going to uh, be perceptive of what's more reality than, than visionary. Then you have the originators. These are the people that start the change. These are the folks that instead of the tree, they're probably focused on the forest, they tend to be strategic and they challenge the current structure. And so um, 
Maybe you might find yourself in one of those places this morning as it relates to change. So I want to give you five things to survive change this morning. The first thing on how to survive change that we see in Scripture is to maintain your focus on what is essential. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, or, or some translations say the people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, this, this is important here. A lot of folks will teach that this verse, Proverbs 29, 18, this verse relates to having an organizational vision, that you have to have a vision for where you're headed or a structure for where you're headed. And, and that is true, but the, the true Hebrew definition here of vision is a prophetic revelation of Jesus and the law. What, what Solomon is saying here is not necessarily that you have a vision for your company or a vision for the organization, but it is a, a vision of Christ, that you have a prophetic revelation of who Jesus is. In Psalms chapter 1, uh, says this, if you flip in Scripture to Psalms 1, uh, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so this, this is where the revelation of vision comes from, is that there is a delighting of yourself in the law of the Lord. Happy, Proverbs says, happy is he who keeps the law. You have a revelation of who Christ is through his word. John said that we have beheld his glory. His, the glory of God, the glory of the only begotten became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Well, what is that? That glory is the word of God. The, the Bible in John 1 uses the term in the Greek. The, the term that is used is logos. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, it was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And what that means is this, um, there was, there was a uh, philosophy that said Heraclitus was a philosopher, and he used the term Logos to describe the, the supernatural power or, or the force that kept all things in order, out of chaos and into cosmos. And what John is saying uh, in John 1 is that the power that keeps all things in order, that keeps all things out of chaos, is the power of God. It is the Logos. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus Christ himself manifest in the flesh. And so when you feel like your world is topsy-turvy and everything is changing and everything is in transition, you have to have a revelation of who Christ is, the Word of God in your life. He will keep all things out of, cosmo, out of chaos and into cosmos. He'll keep all things in order when it feels like everything in your life is out of order. Amen? In Exodus 14, we see that we pick up the story of the Israelites. And verse 8, it says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. You know, it's funny, when, when you have a great experience with God, it's easy to go out with boldness and excitement and joy, but as the story continues, their, their emotions tend to change. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside all these wonderful Bible names. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in, in Egypt... Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. I love that. The people you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. From this passage of Scripture about maintaining our focus, we see a couple of things. One, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This wasn't, you know, Moses goes in, they have the the plagues, and Pharaoh says, yeah, let them go. And the, the children of Israel go out with excitement, but the Bible says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And sometimes in life, in our circumstances, in our situations, we wonder why, God, why is this happening or why is that happening? And as we prayed and said earlier, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And sometimes God causes or allows those things to happen to bring judgment and to, and to show forth his glory. Sometimes that's hard for us to understand because we see such a limited uh, perspective. We have such a limited perspective on our life and, and our circumstances We don't have eternal perspective. We don't see as God sees. And so in our light and momentary affliction, as Paul says, we we begin to get distracted. And, And Paul says that that light and momentary affliction is the very thing that God's using to work his glory in your life. It says they lifted up their eyes and they were very afraid. How many of you know sometimes when we begin to look at our situation, fear begins to rise up. Instead of seeing what God sees, we see with the eyes of fear, and fear begins to lead to manipulation and all the other things that fear brings about, much like Peter on the Sea of Galilee. But I, I, you know, I, have to, I have to credit Peter. I don't know if I could get out of a boat and walk on water myself. Even if I saw Jesus standing there, I don't know if I would really want to get out of a boat and begin to walk on water, and that's exactly what Peter did. We often give Peter a hard time for getting his eyes off Jesus and sinking, but I don't know if I would have made it that far. And so here's Peter, he's getting out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. And what does he do? He gets his eyes off Jesus. The reality that we learn here is this, is that when we get our eyes off of Jesus and off the focus that we ought to have, the fear begins to come in. Instead of faith, our lives begin to produce the fear. Instead of seeing Christ and seeing the hope in the situation, we begin to see fear and and begin to respond likewise. And so I want to encourage you this morning that we aren't to look at our circumstance. Don't look at the situation around you. Begin to put your focus on Christ. The other thing that we see here from this passage in Exodus is that as a result of the fear, manipulation and accusation start soaring. How many of you know when, when you feel like you're about ready to lose control, the, the first thing you want to do is manipulate the situation and try to get back into control? A lot of folks have problems with change because they, they don't have control. They're giving something up and there's no, no longer any control. And so we begin to manipulate the situation. Retailers do this all the time. Uh, if you're not buying their products, they try to give you a little uh, a side benefit to buy their product. And, and all, all the while, we're being manipulated to buy their products because they throw in that little extra uh, bonus. And sometimes we try to get our little extra bonuses in life situations, and uh, we allow the fear to begin to control us, and that's not our response. I love what the Israelites told Moses. They said, didn't we say, leave us alone in Egypt? 
Didn't we say just let us die in Egypt? Let us serve. That's not what they were saying. For 400 years they had been crying out to God for a deliverer. That's not what they had been saying. And how many of you know that sometimes we're the same way? We, oh God, would you do X, Y, Z for me? Oh God, would you do this? Oh God, would you do that? God, give me patience. God, change my attitude. Lord, help me to be more like you. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer and the result that you tend to get is not the, the favorable result that you want. It's God allowing you to be in a circumstance that tests your faith, that tests who you are, tests your character. And you're like, oh, time out a second, God. This isn't what I asked for. This isn't what I wanted. And God sits in the heavens and laughs and says, oh, it's absolutely what you asked for. It's absolutely what you need. And that's what's happening with, happening with the Israelites. And then God says this, or, or Moses says this, Uh, As a result of what God was doing and saying, he says, the Lord is fighting for you. You know, sometimes when we get in the middle of situations that, that we're facing, the last thing we think is God's fighting for us. When you're in the middle of a financial crisis or looking for a job in a job crisis or family crisis, the last thing that you think is, God, you're working on my behalf. The first thing we think, oftentimes, God, why? God, why is this happening? Why did this happen? Why is you? And we begin to blame God and we make accusations toward God, towards God and not realizing all the while God is fighting on your behalf, even in the middle of that situation. Sometimes he allows those situations to happen just so that he can show his glory in our lives, just so that he can come through even what seems like at the last minute. Jehoshaphat faced that. He was going out. The enemies were coming up against him. And he's looking for an answer. How do I fight these armies? How do I take care of these armies? And the prophet's response to him was, Jehoshaphat, you're going to go out and you're going to worship and you're going to sing two lines. Two lines. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. That's all you're going to say. That's all you're going to do. You're going to send the worshipers out first. And those are the two sentences they're going to say. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Now, I have to confess that I am not a man of faith. And if God were to say to me, all you're going to say is praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. And that's going to take care of the situation. I would probably be trying to figure out another solution. I would probably be trying to, you know, I'd call my friends. I'd figure out another plan of attack. What can we do here? This probably is going to fix our situation. But that's what God called him to do. And he begins to put the worshipers out front. And they get out to the valley. They get out to the battle. And the enemies have not only, not only are they dead, they have, they have turned on each other and killed each other. And all the spoils, all of the, all of the rewards of that war were laying all over the field for them to just come and take. Now, I don't know about you, but that's my kind of battle. <laughs> I, I, not that I want to go out and fight a war and be in battle, but if I were going to fight, that would be the fight I'd want. I want, to, I want the fight where I just kind of show up, it's all done, and I just walk away with the spoils. And so God, I want to encourage you this morning that God is fighting on your behalf. Second thing when we're facing transition or change to survive that is, secondly, choose to tell the right story. It's real easy in change and transition to get caught up in the negativity and the gossip and the complaining, the manipulation, the fear, all of those things. When things are uncertain, you hear, you know, how many of you know, when things are uncertain, you hear someone say, well, 
I heard this and I heard that. And you, and you pick up on that little piece of gossip and it's like, well, all of a sudden that little piece of gossip becomes truth or reality for you and it's really not true. It's really not the truth. But because you're in a place of change, you don't feel in control, you grasp for all the straws you possibly can to hang on to to maintain control. Philippians says this, Philippians 4, 6, Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, in the, in the good times and the bad times, in the transition times and the, and the not transition times, when things are settled or when things are unsettled, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens as a result of that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a promise with a premise from God. He says that if you will do this, if you will, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present all these things, then you will have the peace of God. How often do we want God's peace, but don't do what he says? do first. The, the condition of that peace is that you have to bring it all to God. You have to commit it all to God. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's difficult. That's probably harder than the change itself sometimes. Sometimes it's harder than, than going through the situation itself to say, God, in the middle of this situation, I'm going to release control to you. Instead of me maintaining control, I'm going to commit it to you and let you have full control, full reign in my life. Verse 8 of Philippians 4 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble or just, whatever things are pure or lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think of the story with Jarius. His daughter is at home dying. Talk about change and transition. Facing the death of your daughter. And uh, he's at home dealing with his daughter watching her die, doing everything I'm sure a dad would do, doing everything he possibly could to maintain health and life in, in her physical body. And nothing's working. Nothing's helping. And he hears about Jesus coming to town. And so he goes out and he meets Jesus. And he says, Jesus, will you come and heal my daughter? And Jesus says, I'll go. And they start off on their journey. And in the middle of their journey, here comes this woman who's more than likely has a sexually transmitted disease, is considered unclean, and touches Jesus. She gets healed, and now they have this whole time of Jesus dealing with this woman who shouldn't have even been there. If I was Jairus, I probably would have gotten a little ticked off by that situation. Jesus, you said you were coming to my house. My daughter's dying, and you're dealing with this woman who's well known for her issue, shall we say. You're taking care of her. You're ministering to her. But my daughter, who's innocent, who's not even done, she's 12 years old, Jesus. Come on, can't you hurry it up? I'm just being real with you. That's probably what my thought would have been. And so they continue on. And as they're on the journey, someone comes up and says, don't bother Jesus, your daughter's dead. It's pointless, don't worry about it. Maybe this morning you feel like that. Maybe, maybe there's situations or circumstances that you're facing that you feel like are hopeless and, and the hope that you once had is just dead. You've, you've brought it to Jesus and Jesus is busy dealing with everybody else. You feel like Jesus is touching everybody else. Everybody else is getting healed. Everybody else is getting their breakthrough. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Everybody else is getting, getting ministered to. But Jesus, what about me? 
And he said, don't trouble the master. And Jesus looked at him and said, have faith. Don't fear, have faith. And they go along on their journey. They come to the house, and I love what Jesus does. This is priceless. They get to the house, and there's people mourning, weeping, wailing. Professional mourners are there. They're all doing their thing. They're weeping and wailing and mourning over this girl's death. And the Bible says these words, he put them all out. Jesus was, <laughs> Jesus was very humble, but when, but when he was ready to deal with the situation, he dealt with the situation. He was very direct. And, and I say that over your life today, that sometimes we just have to put the complaining and the wailing and the mourning and what was, we just got to put it out. We just got to get it out of the house. Stop mourning over what was. Stop complaining over what was. Stop dwelling on what was. Get it out of the house. The only way that you'll see a miracle in your life, the only way that you'll step into a miracle is getting rid of what was and saying, God, what will be? What are you doing? What is this situation going to result in? I, I don't understand why my daughter's dead, but obviously there's a purpose in all of it. And he put them all out and he goes into Jerry's daughter's room and says to the little girl, arise, Talitha Kumai, arise. And the girl sits up, totally totally healed, totally restored. And so I want to encourage you this morning that when you're in the middle of those situations, you got to keep your eyes, you got to keep your focus on, on the right things, and you got to choose to tell the right story. You can't get caught up in, in what was, but you got to begin to declare and speak of your life what God is saying. Thirdly, how to survive change, is that you need to revalue and rely on your godly relationships. In the middle of change and uncertainty, it's very easy to isolate ourselves, but isolation results in depression. You don't want to isolate yourself because it becomes a pity party and you just become focused, inward focused, instead of saying, okay, God, who have you placed in my life that I can begin to minister to? If you need life, hope, and healing in your life, then you need to go find somebody else who needs life, hope, and healing and minister to them. If you're in the middle of change and uncertainty, the Bible says what you sow, you shall that's a, that's a principle in everyday life. You put a seed in the ground, and you get a harvest. And the true, and the same is true of our lives, that when you're facing uncertainty and you want to be depressed and, and, and live in pity, go find someone else that's worse than you and begin to minister life to them. Go find someone else who's hurting, who's broken, maybe facing the same situation, and you begin to pour out life into them. But I don't have anything to give. That's the whole point. You're right, you don't have anything to give. But in that moment, when you yield to God and say, God, I don't have anything to offer in this situation, but I'll allow you to use me, it's when God begins to meet your need and the other person's need supernaturally. The little boy with his fish and two loaves, we were talking about this in prayer time this morning, that he, I mean, all he had was a couple of fish, a couple of pieces of bread. And God says, you're gonna meet the needs of 5,000 plus people with that little lunch. How does that happen? How, you know, we were talking about Feed the Multitudes in New Orleans where we, you know, we served over 5,000 people. Heather mentioned it, I think, last week or the week before. Uh, but how, how, do, how do you meet the needs of 5,000 people with a whole huge meal from chicken, jambalaya? I mean, we had tons of food. And these people would walk away at the end of the day after serving 5,000 people with huge clamshell take-home boxes, stacks of them. How, that doesn't make sense. God, that doesn't make sense in the natural that we would have that much food left over. Well, it's supernatural. 
It's a miracle, God working a miracle. And the same is true of your life, that if you'll just begin to take that big old spoon of, of jambalaya, and I know you all don't serve jambalaya up here, but I just remember, I just came back from New Orleans, so just take that big old spoon of whatever it is that God's given you. And all he's given you may be in that situation a bunch of hurt, maybe a bunch of pain, a bunch of regret, a bunch of unforgiveness. Whatever it is, you take that big old spoon of whatever it is that you've got and you begin to serve it out. God, out of my hurt, I'll minister to somebody else. God, out of my pain, I'll minister to someone else. God, out of my rejection, out of my unforgiveness, out of my whatever it is, you begin to pour it out. Something supernatural begins to happen in your life. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're a joint body. First Corinthians says, But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. So we are part of one body. We should function and operate together as one body and encourage one another and build each other up. I found this story from the Los Angeles Times. It's from 1988. Love this story. And the story goes like this. It's recorded in the Los Angeles Times. A screaming woman trapped in a car dangling from a freeway transition road in East Los, East Los Angeles was rescued Saturday morning. Again, this was in 1988. The 19-year-old woman apparently fell asleep behind the wheel at a quarter after midnight. And the car, which plunged through a guardrail, was left dangling by its left rear wheel. A half a dozen passing motorists stopped, grabbed some ropes from one of their vehicles, tied the ropes to the back of the woman's car, and hung on until emergency units arrived. A ladder was extended from below to help stabilize the car while the firefighters tied the vehicle to the two, two, to two trucks with cables and chains. And every time we moved the car, said one of the rescuers, she'd yell and scream she was in pain. It took almost two and a half hours for pass, passerbys, highway patrol officers, tow truck drivers, and firefighters, about 25 people in all, to secure the car and pull the woman to safety. It was kind of funny, Los Angeles County Fire Captain Ron, Ross Marshall recalled later, she kept saying, I'll do it myself. <laughs> but the same is true in our lives. When we face a hopeless situation, how many times, I got it, it's all under control, I'll take care of this. I can figure this out. And the reality is, is that God has placed men and women, people around you who will encourage you, who will help you, who will guide you and direct you through your situation. You begin to pray together. You worship together. You fellowship together. Go eat. We like to eat. Go eat. Go eat together. Go, go run. My wife goes and you know, runs with, you know, that's her thing. Go and run. Go, go to the uh, shooting range and go, whatever. Go do stuff together. Go have fun together and enjoy your time together. And then fourthly, reflect with thanksgiving. Reflect on what was with thanksgiving. It becomes easy to remember what was with regrets. Have you ever faced something in your life where you look back on, on the past and, 
in the middle of that change and thought, man, if I'd only done this, if I'd only said this, if I'd only done this differently. You can't look at your past with regrets. You have to begin to look back with thanksgiving. God, thank you that I even had that opportunity. God, thank you that, that this uh, situation gave me the ability to receive this from you. I receive peace in this situation from you as a result of this circumstance. Psalms 23 is a great passage of scripture as it relates to change. You may have not ever looked at Psalms 23 like this before, but this is what Psalms 23 says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you take a look at this passage of scripture, really begin to break it down. What began as a refreshing journey in the pass of righteousness soon ended up in Death Valley. What started off as a great experience ended up in a place of death, mourning, trial, despair. David could have easily gotten his eyes off of, off of Christ in the middle of that situation, off of his shepherd and onto the circumstance, but he kept his eyes on his shepherd. There are things that you will go through in those refreshing times. There will be those mountaintop experiences, as we call them. There those, there's going to be those great experiences with God, the places of refreshing, the places of joy. And God will pour into your life something incredibly uh, awesome in those moments. But many times, it's not until you get into Death's Valley that you really get the download from God that he wants to place in your life. It's in those places of discouragement and despair that we become desperate and needy for more than what we experienced in paths of righteousness. And the paths of righteousness oftentimes are the very places that bring us into Death's Valley. The Bible says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. <laughs> and we often relate that to the physical death, but oh, how much more precious in the eyes of the Lord is the spiritual death when God begins to cause all of those things of, of our soulish man, our, our carnal nature needs to die. Our carnality needs to begin to die. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the cardinality of his saints. Provision and power come from the presence of the Lord. In the middle of those desperate situations, God, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. God, you are my shepherd. Even in, even in Death Valley, you're my shepherd. In your presence is all the power that I need. In your presence is all the comfort that I need. In your presence is all the encouragement that I need. Psalms 100 says, we are to enter into his gates with and into his courts with be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And so in the middle of transition, reflect back with thanksgiving. And then fifthly, dream with expectancy. Dream with expectancy. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph is probably one of my favorite Bible stories. In Genesis 37, 9, Joseph has been tormented by his brothers all of the mess of Joseph's life's going on. And the Bible says in verse 9, Joseph dreamed another dream. Sometimes it's difficult and hardship to dream another dream. That's the last thing we want to do. 
But I want to encourage you today that that you cry out to God. Ask God, God, give me another dream. Help me to see you again. It's not some uh, dream of of false realities and, and trying to live in some utopia land. No, it's a dream of seeing God for who he is and what he's doing in your life. God, help me. Help me to see what you're accomplishing in my life through this circumstance. Dreaming is not about our desires and our fantasy land, but having God's desires and God's dream in us. You can't change the past, but you can change how you live for the future. In David Seaman's book, In Healing for Damaged Emotions, he has this quote. He says, we suffer, we'll put it on the screen so that you can see it. It says, we suffer because it is this world, not some dream world that we would like to have, some utopia that we may fantasize about and wish to live in. We live in this world after the fall, this side of Eden, this paradise, lost world, where sin entered by the choices of God's children. In this world where evil spoiled God's original perfect blueprint, marred it, scarred it, defaced it, disfigured it. Face reality. (laughs) I love that. Sometimes we just need a reality check. Sometimes we just need to see, hey, this situation, it ain't good. But God's at work in our lives through this situation. Face reality. You cannot push history back before the fall. You cannot live in a dream world. Paul then said that all of this world, the total creation from the inanimate to the human is defective. The world is suffering, hoping for a new birth, a final redemption for nature and humanity in which we will be new persons with new bodies and minds and everything set right. Paul was not saying that God needs our sins and our infirmities, our failures and our blunders to work out his will in this world, but in this fallen world, these are just about the only materials through which he can work out his will. If we were able to trace all human damages and hurts, we would find that ultimately they are the result of someone's sin, perhaps even generations back. If we could trace a hurt far enough, we would see that what comes through as infirmities and damaged emotions was passed along through imperfect genes and imperfect parenting and imperfect performance. In other words, God takes the imperfect mess of this world And it's the very thing he uses to work out his will and his plan in your life. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're facing uh, generations. Maybe you're facing some hurts from your parents or hurts from the past that you've not let go. And those are the things that are holding you back from stepping into all that God has. You're, You're looking back with regret and not dreaming to what God has for you in the future. I want to encourage you to look back with thanksgiving to see what God has done. That he has allowed that situation, maybe a parental issue or, or a situation in your life. That situation has been allowed for this time so that God can do something supernatural in your life today. God wants to heal that broken heart. God wants to heal the broken marriage, the broken relationship, whatever it is. God wants to do something supernatural in the middle of that so that he could be glorified and that you'll be satisfied with him. Maybe you're facing something this morning. Maybe you're here and you're facing change. Maybe it's family, whatever it is. I believe that God wants to do something supernatural in your life today. You know, just like we started off with Dr. Seuss and uh, man times flown and, you know, we look back over our lives sometimes, whether it's a short, maybe you're here this morning and you're in your teens and it's been a short look back or maybe you're in your 80s or 90s and it's a longer look back. Whatever case it is, Our lives oftentimes are filled with hurt and change and situations that we don't necessarily want to deal with or face.
Maybe you're here and you're, you are a teenager or, or a young adult. I often joke we spend the first 18 years of our lives learning how we ought to behave and the rest of our life correcting what we learned as a, as a, a child. And so, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your, your parents or situations as a, as a young person that have affected you. And I would say to you today that God wants to meet you right where you're at. doesn't matter what your age is. doesn't matter if you're in your 90s or in your teens. Maybe you're 10, 12 years old or maybe you're 90 years old. All of us face situations in this life where we need God to come and help us walk through those situations. I'm going to ask the band to come, and we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you that in the middle of change, God, that you provide comfort, our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our comfort and counselor. You come and give us direction. You come and give us wisdom and insight how to face the situations of this life. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray for my friends here this morning, God, that maybe are facing difficult times, difficult situations. They're facing change in their life. Lord, I know that you have a plan and a purpose for their life. Lord, maybe there's those who are listening, Lord, via the podcast and the radio uh, situations, Lord, that we have. Lord, I pray that you would touch them, God, wherever they're at, whatever they're facing this morning, Lord, or, or whatever they're listening to this message, God, I pray that you would touch them right where they're at, God, that you would bring encouragement, Lord, that you would touch them in the middle of their situation, give them eyes to see, God, as you see. I thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord Jesus.